All right, well, if you would please open in your Bible to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 5 today, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 5. And as you make your way there, I just wanted to give you a quick preview of where we're going. So after this Sunday, we are going to be starting an expositional series through our church's distinctives. That'll take us from next week through the month of September. I'm really looking forward to that. I think that'll strengthen us, ground us as a church in who we are and kind of why we do things the way that we do here. And we like to think about our distinctives as our values that shape the attitudes and actions of our community to keep us on mission. So we don't want to assume those things. We're going to lean into that together uh, for the rest of the summer all the way to October. But for today, that's where we're going. Today, again, we're in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 5. And before we read our text together, I want to tee it up for us so you kind of get the taste and the tone of what our text is about. So probably some of you know this already, but the first part of the book of 2 Thessalonians is about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and clarifying some misconceptions that these believers, these churches around the city of Thessalonica had believed. So the first half is about the return of Christ. And then after our text, just so you kind of get the trajectory, Paul is going to encourage and maybe even lovingly rebuke these Christians to say, hey, just because Jesus is coming back, and he is, you better not be idle. And so in between teachings about the return of Jesus and how you're to live is our text, verses 1 through 5 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I think we can like resonate with that context, right? With that breakdown. Just like our brothers and sisters who've gone before us, those that the book is written to here in Thessalonians, don't we also feel like the suffering and the brokenness in the world around us? and inside of us, and you find yourself crying out, come, Lord Jesus, come, right? That's what's happening here that brings us up to our text. So this text captures that tension that we live in, right? Between the already and the not yet, what's our focus supposed to be? How are we supposed to live our lives as believers in view of that tension? So please follow along with me now, put your finger on the text, We're going to read it together, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 5. This is God's word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So let's go before the Lord together in prayer before we begin. Father, we need you today. We praise you for your great love. Please, Lord, have your words speed ahead in our hearts today. May you increase and may we decrease. Open your word to us this morning and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So all right, in our text, we're gonna see two different prayers. First is gonna be the prayer for the minister. Paul's gonna ask for prayer. 
And in the second part of it, we're going to see the prayer of the minister, what Paul prays for these believers here in Thessalonians. So first, look at verses 1 and 2 with me. I just don't want to gloss over it. Notice it. The apostle Paul asks for prayer. That's just how our text starts. Like, not to oversimplify it, but isn't that instructive to us? Like, shouldn't we all be asking for prayer? If Paul needed to ask for prayer, I guarantee you, you need to ask for prayer too, okay? So his prayer request is broken into two parts. First, Paul asks for prayer. The first thing he asks for prayer, look at verse one, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Literally, Paul asks them to pray that the word of the Lord may run, Isn't that awesome? He asks that the word of the Lord may run is what he asks them to pray for. It's the imagery back in Psalm 147, verse 15, where it says that God's word runs swiftly, right? So asking the prayer for the word of the Lord to run, it's like the metaphor of an athlete, right? Of running a race. So the picture here is the word, the word of God, the proclaimed word of God, the evangelized word of God in a race. And Paul's asking them to pray, pray for this word to speed ahead, that it will speed ahead and be victorious. He's asking for them to pray about. So his prayer request is similar to Colossians chapter one. Listen to this, and it helps us understand how the word is described and what it's doing. So Colossians one verses five through six says this, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So that's the idea here. Praying for the word, for the gospel to increase, to advance, right? So how does the word of the Lord speed ahead and be honored? How does the gospel advance? This applies to them and it applies to us, right? God's word advances. How does God's word advance? How's the gospel advance? Through people, right? In through two different kind of ways. God's word advances through the proclamation of God's word and through prayer, So you probably, some of you already have these verses come into mind. God's word, the gospel advances through people, through our proclamation of the gospel. Romans 10 verses 14 and 15 says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So the good news is preached and it's taken along by people's feet. The gospel, the word of God is advanced through people, right? That's what Paul did to Thessalonians. He went to them and he preached to the gospel and they believed, right? He ministered to them as people. So just think about this for a minute. This just struck a chord with me this last week reflecting on these verses. So for the gospel to advance, for the word of God to speed ahead, it means you have to be near enough to people for them to hear the gospel message, right? How are they supposed to hear it if you don't speak it? And how are they supposed to hear you if you're not within earshot of when you speak it? So if the only thing your neighbors hear from you 
is how messed up they are and how you disagree with all of their politics, are they going to hear the message of the gospel in this kind of way? Because we carry the gospel with us, right? Through God's people, that's how it's proclaimed. That draws us, the implication is we move towards people so they can hear the gospel. We don't move away from people, okay? That's the posture here that we're seeing. And just like right here in our text, the gospel, the word of the Lord advances through people's prayers. Think about that. The gospel, the word of the Lord, it advances through the prayers of God's people. So that means like God is sovereignly in control of the means and the ends, right? The ends of his gospel being proclaimed, the word of the Lord advancing, and he's sovereign over the means too. The means of faithful gospel proclamation and faithful prayers of his people, right? So I just want to ask us as a church family, do you want to see the word of God speed ahead to let it run? Then we better be praying like it. That's what 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1 just makes crystal clear. You want to see the word of God run swiftly? Then you better pray like it, okay? So Paul wrote Thessalonians. He wrote it when he was in the city of Corinth. So when he prays, when you look at this, when he prays for the word of God to speed ahead, it's like he's thinking of a world of all these other words in his context, right? Of these other gospels. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, shout out to my nephew who's named Soren, Soren Kierkegaard, he said, imagine with me a map of the world. And he didn't mean a geographical map. He meant a map of ideas, of ideologies, of philosophies. So have that in your mind here, okay? So where does the word of God fit in that map? Like if you were to open, for those of you that used to, old enough to know physical maps, right? You would open the map, right? And you'd look at it. Where's the word of God on this map? And maybe it's copyrighted in 2023. I bet you'd find it, find it really hard to find the word of God on that map today. In the world's ideologies, in their philosophies, right? That's the same situation Paul was in as he's writing the book of 2 Thessalonians to them from the city of Corinth, a world filled with so many other different ideas, religious ideas, political ideas, other gospels. And he prays, let the word of God run. Let it advance past those other things, okay? So that's the picture here, that the word of the Lord, the word of God would emerge running ahead and that it would be honored, right? So again, just I want us to like feel the weight of this and not just be water passing through a pipe. So it's like Paul, again, he's imagining the world of ideas, of worldviews, of philosophies, of religious concepts and narratives, right? And Paul's asking them to pray from that world that the word of God would speed ahead. Like a runner wins a race by finding fifth gear down the straightaway. For those of you that have watched the Olympics, like Usain Bolt, everybody's even to about the 100-meter mark, and then what happens? He blows everyone away by like 20 meters. That's Paul praying, let the word of God speed ahead like that, to find the fifth gear, to let it kick in and overtake these other words. He's praying for it to spread, to advance, to speed ahead. So I want to like encourage us this week as a church family, like this informs when we come to gather 
I bet you'd agree with me right now. Like this week, you've heard a ton of other words, haven't you? Whether it be on the news, whatever you consume on social media, maybe even what your neighbors are talking about. You've heard a lot of other words. But when we come here and the book of God is opened, we hear what God has to say. And that's the word that we need. And that's the word we're to pray to speed ahead past these other words. So I just want us to be praying, right? This text is about prayer. It should inform us to be a praying type of people, a verse one type of people, a verse one kind of church here to be praying for the word of God to run, right? Like let's join together in being the kind of church that prays for that. Pray for the word of God to speed ahead in you, right? In your heart, in us as a church, and through other faithful gospel-proclaiming churches in this area to let the gospel advance and let the word of God run. And why? Because it glorifies God and because the world desperately needs it. Because there are many in this city who don't know Jesus yet. And so the word of God needs to run. So we need to pray like it. So I just want to thank those of you in this church who are praying this, who pray it for me. Some of you prayed in our monthly prayer gathering Saturday for the sermon today. Thank you. I desperately need that. Pray for our church, for the pulpit, that it faithfully proclaims God's word. Pray for me and my family. Pray for Todd and his family. Pray for the other elders. Pray for the deacons, the staff, ministry leaders. Pray for one another to let the word of God run, okay? We're not consumers who come to listen to a TED Talk and let it pump us up for the week ahead. There's enough of that on YouTube. You need to come to hear what God's word says, and you have an active role in that to be praying for it, okay? To let the word of God run. All right, I couldn't help but think of this. I mentioned this briefly to my brother Josh before the sermon today. Some of you may know this story. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he's called, right? Well, nothing new under the sun. His church is thriving. He's famous. Why, is, why are his sermons making such an impact? This group comes to him. Maybe they're like ministry consultants or people from a website nowadays. And they say, Charles, CH, what is the secret to your church's success? What does Spurgeon do? He kind of tries to evade their question, but they're insisting, what's your secret? So he says, come with me. He takes them downstairs, not in the nice big sanctuary. He takes them down into the boiler room, think 19th century, boiler room of his church. And he points to the boiler room where the people gather to pray for the word to spread. And they ask him, what's the secret for your church's impact? And Spurgeon says, my people pray for me. That's 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. My people pray for me. So I want to encourage us as a church to excel still more and to be this kind of church that prays like this, that prays for the word of God to run. And I just want to like paint a picture for you real quick. I just couldn't help think about this this last week, almost like staring out the window kind of way. Like, what would that look like for the word of God to run. Not just like fluffy spiritual mumbo jumbo talk, but like, what would that actually look like? Like, have you thought about that before? Like, imagine with me what it would look like for the word of God to run. And not just what I read to you from a history book about Spurgeon, but like today. I bet it would mean 
there would be a keen sense of God's presence. There'd be a renewed conviction about sin and about the sweetness of the gospel and the majesty of Jesus Christ, right? So we should be praying for that, for the word of God to run and then imagine with me what that could look like, like in your life, in the life of our church, in the life of other local churches, for the word of the Lord to spread, for the word of God to run, right? Don't you want that? So if you want that, God's word calls us here to be praying like that, okay? We want to see the word of God speed ahead. We desperately, desperately need it to speed ahead. So let's be praying like it. That's the encouragement. That's the charge here in our text. All right, that's the first thing Paul makes a prayer request for, which is pretty awesome, right? But he also prays for one more thing. Look at the second part in verse two of what the apostle Paul prays for. The second that of his prayer requests. Paul asked them to pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. So what's he mean by praying to be delivered from wicked and evil men? And I would just submit to you real quick, for the sake of time, we need to see verse three in light of verse four and kind of the flow of his prayer request. Because in verse four, Paul continues and he expresses his confidence in the Lord, that God's faithful, so he's confident in the Thessalonians that God will establish them and that God will protect them from the evil one. So the second part of Paul's prayer request is a request for protection, isn't it? A protection from wicked and evil men, yes, but what's behind the wicked and evil men? The evil one, right? How often do in our Christian life we equate our real enemy as a person whether a real person or some made-up enemy you've made up in your mind, but that's not the real enemy that you need to be protected from. It's protection from the evil one. But again, because behind wicked and evil men is the wicked one. The wicked one is behind the opposition to the word of God here. So we have to remember that. The Christian's battle, the church's mission throughout time to today, and Lord willing for this next generation of our local church, is not just against people, is it? It's against the evil one. We absolutely can't miss it. You are tempted in your heart of hearts, and you're tempted by wells you abide in and people reread and listen to, to make the battle against those people. But it's not. Your battle is against the evil one. Ephesians 6, 12, it speaks to it in this kind of vivid way. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the kind of prayer here, protection against the evil one. Because just think about it. Who's the one who's asking for prayer here? Paul, who did he used to be? a very wicked and evil man, a religious terrorist who arrested Christians and had them killed. But then through the power of the gospel, the word of the God, God running into his life and gripping his heart, he's changed, isn't he, into the apostle Paul. So yes, there are evil, wicked people against the word of God. But ultimately, what we pray for protection against 
is against the evil one because even wicked and evil people are not beyond the reach of God and the power of the gospel. The human author of this text is proof. So when you hear the evil one, maybe you're like, whoa, Mike, I didn't think we're that kind of church. Are we going to talk about it? We're going to talk about it. So the evil one, okay, just hear this. Maybe this resonates with you. It's been said that the devil's cleverest ruse is to make people believe he does not exist. And that includes church people like us. Oh, we've advanced past that. There's no such thing as the devil. Oh, no, there is. And we need to pray for protection against the evil one here, right? We don't know better than that as Christians. Of anyone, we should be praying for protection against the evil one. Why is he evil? Because he opposes God. He opposes the advancement of the gospel. He's a liar, and he's always been a liar. He is your enemy, no matter what, like, evil bad guy on whatever Marvel movie you watch. The devil is a million times worse. Okay, he's real, and we're to pray for protection against him. He's always been opposed to the word of God, hasn't he? The prayers for the word of God to run, well, who's in opposition to that? The evil one. He's been opposed to the word of God from the beginning of the story when he was the slithering serpent, and he's opposed to the word of God to the end of the story when he's the giant red dragon at the end of time. That's who we're to pray for protection against. So Paul is praying for God's word to speed ahead, so therefore he's praying for protection from the evil one. And maybe he even had like the Lord's prayer in mind, right? Lord, protect us from evil. Really, you could understand that to be protect us from the evil one. Paul prays for this because where does God, I just want to like ground us in this. This text is amazing. It points us to a bunch of places. Okay, you can pray for this like as a gathered church. Pray for the word of God to run. Pray for protection against the evil one because why? Where does God build his church? Matthew 16. He builds it right up against the gates of hell. And he says, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it, right? So we better pray like this for the word of God to advance because the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. So we pray for it because Jesus is building his church through his word, through his gospel, right? Because Jesus is worthy, like we just sang about a few minutes ago, and by his blood, he's ransomed people from every tongue and nation and tribe. So the word of God is running. It's going to continue to run. The gospel is going to advance. Like, do you just feel what Paul is praying here? He's praying like the certainty that he already saw the end of the race. The word of God, the gospel wins. And so he's going to pray like that. He's going to preach like that. He wants to encourage the Thessalonians and us like that. So because of this, I hope you'd like not just nod your head, but like rejoice in your heart. It's always been from God's perspective. It's always been a great time to be a Christian. From the eternal perspective, it's always a great time to be the church because we pray for the word of God to run, for the gospel to advance and to protect us from the evil one. And through that, Jesus is building his church. So this is just like, whoa, uh, there's a lot right here that Paul, Paul again, is asking for them to pray for this. 
He's praying for this, requesting this prayer for himself and his ministry team, that the word of God speeds ahead and protection from the evil one. But now, what does he pray for the Thessalonians, right? Remember, this is two prayers. Now it's the minister's prayer for his people. And look at verse five. What's Paul pray for them? He says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. What a prayer. Direct here, when you see that word direct in the text, it means to make straight or to put in the right. Make straight their hearts, put their hearts right to focus them on the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So again, just remember our immediate context to the original audience. They are longing for the return of the king, for the Lord Jesus Christ to return in glory and set everything right, right? And as they're longing for his return, they are suffering persecution. They're keenly aware of the brokenness in the Greek Roman culture around them, the brokenness in their own hearts. And Paul prays for them that their focus is on the love of God, that the core of their being, their heart, like the center of what you love is made straight towards directed to the love of God. He's praying for them to have undivided hearts, hearts that aren't shallow. And God's love is the only thing that makes our hearts like that. So he prays for them to focus on God's love. Think of all the things Paul could have prayed for them in that context. And that tension we feel, right? As we live between two worlds. I bet you pray for other things than that. And I do too, and that's okay. But ultimately, your prayer should be like this. We should be praying God's word back to God. Our prayers should be consistent with and aligned with Scripture. When you think about it, how does your heart work? Does it always, is it always directed to the love of God? Because mine isn't. So if you're anything like me, right? Our hearts are aligned to other things, to other loves, and then what happens? Our hearts get disordered, don't they? And then what you think you really need is this, or I'm entitled to this, and you drift, and you have disbelief, and it creeps into your heart, and you start to lose focus on the love of God. So there's a reason why Paul is praying for them in this context, in our context, to direct their hearts to the love of God. So I want to ask us to consider, and I'm just going to pause even for 10 seconds. It's going to feel like a long time, but for 10 seconds, I want you to think about what has your heart been directed to lately? And is it God's love? What has your heart been directed to lately? Is it God's love? Or do you have a tendency to push away God's love? to try to hide from his love, to question his love. And again, we want to be an honest church. In your heart of hearts, if you're being really, really honest, we're often not sure of God's love, are we? We're not sure his love is really going to make us happy. And so then we start to look to other things and we assume his love. So this dynamic, I want you to hear it. It's not just me like pontificating off of this. We want to preach the word, right? 
for those men that have been in Bible studies, the book of Malachi, this is gonna sound familiar to you. Malachi chapter one, verse two, same dynamic in play in the Old Testament. Listen to this, Malachi one, two. God says to his people, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have I loved you? Don't you see yourself in that? God says, I love you. And you say, how have you loved me, God? There's a reason why Paul is praying for their hearts to be directed to the love of God. And again, isn't that a lot like us living out of our unbelief and telling God, how have you loved me? How have you loved me lately? Right? So the prayer for the Thessalonians and the prayer for extension by us, for us, this is a prayer for us too, is that the Lord would direct our hearts to his love to rightly order our hearts, to make our hearts straight in alignment with his love. I think we were talking, a few of us that meet on every Tuesday, a group of us, we have our uh, sermon prep group, which is awesome, like the highlight of my week. We get together and talk about last week's sermon and text and this week's, and one of the brothers mentioned, I think part of like directing your heart, like when you clear a path, right? It's, it's clearing away some of the obstacles, isn't it? So I wonder... You're like, yes, I want my heart to be directed to the love of God. But for you, what are some of those obstacles that keep getting in the way? You want your heart to be directed to his love, but it doesn't feel that way. The path is crooked. What are those obstacles in the way for you of having your heart directed to the love of God? Where are the places of unbelief or even shame in your life that make you push against God's love? Because we desperately, I hope you can like just hear this right now. We desperately need our hearts to be directed to God's love, don't we? We need our loves reordered. About our tendency to doubt the love of God, like in Malachi, how have you loved me? The old Saint Jonathan Edwards said this. Edwards wrote, resolved to examine carefully and constantly what one thing in me is which causes me in the least to doubt the love of God and to direct all my forces against it. So what obstacles are in the way in your heart, getting in the way of you directing your heart to the love of God? I would submit to you the old Saint Edwards is on a good path here. He says, for those places that causes him to doubt the love of God, that he's going to direct all my forces against it. That's a way of saying he wants the word of God to run in his life, right? So why direct all our forces against those things that cause us to doubt the love of God? Right? But yeah, Mike, that sounds good, but why? Why is because God's love is our highest need and our greatest good. God's love is a bottomless, bottomless ocean that you can never exhaust, right? It's deep and wide. It is beyond comprehension. God's love is deeper than our sin, and praise God for that. Deeper than your shame, deeper than even your grief and your loss, deeper than your insecurities and fears, truer than your unbelief, it's deeper than any other kind of love. God's love is inexhaustible and invincible, and it's what you were made for. 
God's love is the door that you've been knocking on your whole life. So Paul prays, direct, Lord, direct their hearts to that. So I want you to pray for yourself and pray for us as a church. Direct our hearts to the love of God. So I just want to like apply this word. 1 Peter 5.2 says to elders, to shepherd the flock among you. So I'm going to share how this may apply to us because it applies to me in some kind of way too. So maybe like you're hearing this word right now, but maybe for you, you your emotional like tank and storehouse is on E. You want to feel the love of God, but you can't. And maybe you're just like your, your wires are fried. You're functionally depressed. Or maybe fear and anxiety is overtaking you. Maybe you had an anxiety attack this last week. And you're like, I want my heart to be directed to the love of God, but I can't, right? God's love maybe for you feels really, really far away. So if that's you, let me encourage you to come to the Lord like in a few minutes when we take the Lord's Supper and ask God to direct your heart to his love, to ask your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church, be vulnerable, come into the light saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Would you pray for my heart to be directed to God's love? Because that's what we need. Like we need each other in this kind of way to have our hearts directed even our depressed hearts, even our anxious hearts, even our hurting hearts to the great love of God. And then as we say every week, we say it because we mean it. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we're really glad you're here. Like the best place to look into the claims of Jesus is in the life of his church. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, I wonder what you think about the love of God. I wonder what love your heart finds itself directed to? Where do you look for for your acceptance and your identity? What would you say makes you feel like you really matter and that you're treasured, right? We all want to feel valued and seen and known and loved in some kind of way. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'd ask you to consider that your desire for love is meant to point you somewhere just like your appetite for food is meant to point you to food. So your desire for love, your appetite for love is meant to point you to the greatest love, and that's the love of God. C.S. Lewis said this, if I find in myself a desire in which nothing in this world can satisfy me, the only logical conclusion is I was made for another world. So your desire for love points you to the greatest and most satisfying love, and that's the love of God. Because what other love died for you when you were still a sinner? There is no other kind of love like that. So our hearts need to be directed to God's great love. So I'd encourage you, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, today would be a great day to trust in Jesus, to confess and repent of your sin, and ask for his grace and forgiveness to cover your sin and to be made whole and to be accepted by God's love. The only kind of love that's never gonna leave you or disappoint you. 
So this prayer to be directed to the love of God, I just want to make sure we're hearing this, we're hearing God's word and not our ideas. This isn't a fleeting sentimental kind of love. This is not a Hallmark movie kind of love, okay? This is the love of God that our hearts are be directed to. So again, remember the context. It's Paul's prayer for them right after his prayer for the, for the word of God to run and for protection from the evil one. The prayer for them when they feel like we just sang, we feel the world is broken. What should be our prayer? Our prayer should be to have our hearts directed to the love of God as we long for the return of Jesus. And then what's amazing about this prayer is you could be like, yeah, yeah, but then it feels like incomplete. Like, yeah, it's God's love. What does that look like? What's that feel like? Is it just another abstract idea in the world of ideas? And it's not. And the reason it's not is because of the second part of his prayer for them in verse five. Look again with me at verse five. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to what? And to the steadfastness of Christ. God's love is demonstrated in a person, the person and work of Jesus Christ. The love of God is most clearly seen in Jesus, in the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. The steadfastness that he showed as he went to the cross for the joy set before him. So when you pray for the Lord to direct your heart to his love, like you pray to direct me, where are we supposed to look? We're supposed to look to the steadfastness of Christ to the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because think about it. If Christ was steadfast to go to the cross, and he was, and all that that means, will he not be steadfast for you? As you pray in your heart and your unbelief, Lord, direct my heart to your love. Where am I supposed to look? You look to the cross, to the steadfastness of Christ, that he'll continue to be faithful to love you, because he was steadfast to go to the cross. So we pray, may the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And again, why? I'm a big why guy. Back in corporate world, I'd be in these meetings like, Mike, we know you're the why guy, so we got to give the why. Amen. I better know the why. Why do we have to pray this? Because we all have places of unbelief in our lives, don't we? places of insecurity where we don't really believe that God loves us. God says, I love you. And again, you say, how have you loved me? And you hide from his love and you push back his love. When that's true in our lives, and it is true in your life in some kind of way, I promise you, we only go so far in walking with God, in trusting him, in really feeling like and believing that God wants what's best for us even more than we do. Because if we don't believe he loves us, then we're going to take control of our life and steer it the way we want to go because we know better than God and we know what we need to satisfy us. But when you press into and confess and get on your knees and say, Lord, direct my heart to your love, it reorders your love and you can fully trust God's good intention for you. So how do we break free, right, of insecurity, of pushing back against God's love? Well, what's God's word say in front of us? It's not by looking at ourselves, is it? 
It's not by directing our hearts to our circumstances, that's for sure, no matter, no matter what time and place you find yourself. We really begin to experience growth in our lives as Christians when the love of God is applied to our hearts, when our hearts are directed to his love. When you look at the cross with the eyes of faith, when your heart is directed to the steadfastness, the persevering endurance of Christ, because we see the proof of God's love for us, and then that starts to change us. So you pray, Lord, direct my heart to your love. What does that look like? What's that mean? It looks like Jesus. (laughs) And then you keep your eyes on that, and you pray for your heart to be directed to the great invincible, inexhaustible love of Jesus, and then it starts to change you and it starts to reorder your heart. You start to ask questions like, bring your unbelief into the light about God's love for you and consider, how can God be against me when all of his wrath against sin fell on Christ? How can God fail to care for me, to really love me when he gave his only son for my sake? How can I doubt his great love for me? It was purchased at great cost at the cross of Jesus Christ. So then this great love of God is applied to your heart and your heart is directed as you fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith, your Lord Jesus Christ. So so as we close, I hope this word is encouraging. I hope it's lovingly challenging you and maybe pushing into those places of unbelief in your heart that we all have again in some kind of way. And I pray that this passage will be a prayer in the life of our church. So again, I'm, I'm submitting myself to you being vulnerable. Pray this for me. Pray this for Todd. Pray this for whoever fills this pulpit. Pray it for the elders, the deacons, the staff, the ministry leader. Pray it for one another as members of GBC. We need it. Parents, grandparents, foster parents, Pray these verses for your kids, that the word of God will run in their life, that the Lord will protect them from the evil one, and that the Lord would direct their hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Do you want to be a really good friend? Pray these verses for your friends. Pray this for one another. Prioritize it. Put it on your calendar. Set a reminder on your phone every day at 3.15 p.m. An alarm goes off and you pray 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5 for whoever the Lord's laying on your heart, for yourself, for the fellow members of GBC. And I want you to know, your elders, we pray this for you. So when you hear from us members asking for prayer, we mean it. We need your prayers and you need our prayers. We need to be praying this for each other, for the Lord to direct our hearts to his love and to the steadfastness of Christ. And let me submit to you, like whether you feel like, man, I'm like in the best place lately as a Christian, or you just feel like absolutely stuck in neutral or maybe even going backwards. Pray this prayer for yourself. Pray for the word of God to run in your life, right? And in the life of our church, and in and around our city. Pray for the word of God to run, to protect us from the evil one, and to direct our hearts to the love of God. And again, we pray that. When do we pray that? In the middle of our brokenness and our longing, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And so what do we pray? We pray these verses.
All right, let's close in prayer together before we move to the Lord's Supper. Father, we praise you for your great love, for the steadfastness of Christ. Father, may the word of God run in my heart, in the hearts of the people of Gresham Bible Church, in the life of this church, in the life of other faithful gospel churches in our area. May your word run. Protect us from the evil one. Direct our hearts to your great love and to the steadfastness of Christ. For your glory and our good, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.